Well, Father, we've gathered in Jesus' name here today, and our prayer is indeed that your word and the work of your Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ corporately in the body here and the fellowship of believers would all work together for the changing of our hearts, that we would be in process, that today we would take a step closer to being Christ-like in that process of sanctification in our lives. Thank you that we build this upon a great salvation and the security and hope of heaven. And we look forward to being in your presence one day, Father, and be able to rejoice in person with our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus. In the meantime, would you help us to be faithful? And would you help us to be growing and and to be confident in righteousness in a wicked world? Father, we apply ourselves now to the study of the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, will you fill in the blank for me, please? Okay, listen closely. One of the most important factors in my Christian walk and spiritual development is blank. Let me say that again. Okay, just listen. One of the most important factors... In my personal spiritual development and Christian walk is blank. What would you say? Hmm? Relationship with Christ, study of the word, obedience. I want to suggest this morning that we could fill in the blank and I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 as we build upon this concept. But listen closely. One of the most important factors in my spiritual development and Christian life and Christian growth is, think about this, who's my pastor? You ever think about that? Now, we take great pains to pick out our doctors, don't we? And we don't just let any old dentist go rooting around in our mouths, nor do we let just any old mechanic root around under our hoods. But how much thought have you given to who's your pastor? Do you recognize how much a pastor influences your personal, spiritual, Christian walk and development? I believe that the Apostle Paul understood this at a deep level. Remember, we're at the church in Ephesus. The young pastor is Timothy. It's probably with some insecurity and a little bit of trepidation that the Apostle Paul, making a corporate headquarters decision, has sent this young pastor to straighten them out. You can only imagine what it would be like for us to announce, hey, we've been sent from headquarters, this young guy, he's going to be our pastor. And everybody goes, oh, right. Timothy was a little bit shaken, I think. Timothy was a little bit insecure. And the Apostle Paul, in the text that we're going to finish today, the rest of chapter 4... The context here is Paul encouraging Timothy as to what kind of pastor he's to be because it has everything to do with the spiritual growth and development of the congregation. This isn't hard to understand. Doesn't it matter who shepherds the flock? The care and the nurturing and the protection of the sheep has everything to do with their shepherd That is the number one picture that's used in our Bibles for a congregation other than the body of Christ. That is that we are like sheep. Sheep tend to go astray. Ultimately, our shepherd is Christ. The under-shepherds are the pastors, the elders that God brings into our lives. Some of you have actually 
had opportunity to help select pastors. One of my goals in preaching this message today is that we chip away at the maturity level of our flock, that our congregation understands and has an expectation for who's their pastor. That you wouldn't just let anyone be your pastor. And that if you ever have to select a pastor, that you would be very careful. It reminds me of a a young seminarian who'd got his resume out and he finally got a call back from this little country church. The deacons gathered and the young man just graduated from seminary and he was being examined by the deacon board. The chairman of the board spoke up first. He says, son, do you know the Bible? Well, certainly I know the Bible, was the seminarian's reply. Which part do you know, asked the deacon. He said, I know it all. I know the Old Testament and I know the New Testament, he replied. Well, the chairman continued, if you know so much about the Bible, why don't you tell us one of the stories? How about one of the parables, he said. For example, do you know the parable of the Good Samaritan? Yes, sir, he said. He said, I know it well. Well, then the deacon said, suppose you tell us that parable. The young man began, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went down to Jericho by night and fell among thorns. And the thorns choked him half to death. And he said, What shall I do? I will arise and go to my father's house. And he arose and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. And the next day... Solomon and his wife Gomorrah came by and found him. And they carried him and his wife, and they carried him down to the ark for Moses to care for him. But as he went through the eastern gate into the ark, he caught his hair on a limb and he hanged there forty days and forty nights. And he was afterwards and hungered. And the ravens came and fed him. And the next day, the three wise men came by and carried him down to Nineveh and When he got there, he found Delilah sitting on the wall. And he he said, chunk her down, boys. And they said, how many times shall we chunk her down? Until seven times. And he said, nay, until 70 times seven. They chunked her down 490 times and she burst asunder in their midst. They picked up 12 baskets full of the fragments that were left. and, And in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? And then the chairman said, chairman said, men, I think we ought to call him. He's young, but he really knows his Bible. (laughs) Well, it's no small deal to hire a pastor or to call a pastor to identify God's man to lead your congregation. The Apostle Paul is concerned, as you well know by now in our series, that Ephesus has had huge issues to deal with. Timothy has been appointed to appoint elders to assist him in the oversight of the ministry. But he now, as we begin and look down at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, we recognize that Paul said, if you do these things, you will be a good servant of Christ in the local church. Look what he says. Let's begin with verse 6, put it in its context. And then I want to click off. From the Apostle Paul to Timothy, you ready, Sabolsky? Nine things that the Apostle Paul is looking for in his young pastor. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is true and deserving of full acceptance. The saying that is true and deserving of full acceptance is that saying about godliness being profitable for this life and the one to come. For to this end we toil and we strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things, Timothy. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so doing, you will save both yourself and your congregation, your hearers. Listen, this is a personal aspect to the letter. The Apostle Paul, writing personally to Timothy, I want these things to be present in your life as you shepherd the flock, as you pastor the flock. You know the word pastor means shepherd. I'd like to suggest that we can learn some lessons for ourselves today about what we want to watch for in a pastor, recognizing that whoever is our pastor has a great deal to do on an ongoing basis with my own personal spiritual development. First of all, we're not going to camp on this one because we've already camped on it. And that is, Paul says to Timothy, number one, train for godliness. Train for godliness. Physical exercise profits some. Get rid of the old wives' tale and all the false teaching. Focus on the gospel. Train yourself to be godly in Christ Jesus. Reminding ourselves the gymnazo, gymnasium word there of training. That we want a pastor who is growing in godliness. Number one, Paul says to Timothy, train in godliness. We've, we've talked a good bit about that, so let's move on. The end of, in verse 9, he talks about that is a trustworthy saying that you would commit to godliness, which is profitable for this life and the life to come. That's a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance that is likely a well-known expression in the churches of that day, possibly even part of a hymn that they sang. Verse 10, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who's the Savior of all people, but especially those who believe. I want you to notice the next two words in verse 10. For to this end, Timothy, Paul says, we toil and we strive. He's describing his motivation in ministry and a description of this young pastor in ministry is that he is toiling and striving. Number two, we want a pastor who works hard. Work hard, Timothy. Work hard, pastor. The word toil there means to work to the point of weariness or exhaustion. The word that's translated in the ESV, um, to toil and to strive, that word means to agonize. We get our English word agony from the Greek word, something like agonaza. Pastor Mark will tell you how to say it later on. To agonize, it's the word to strive. It's the picture of the athlete 
trying to stretch out to get to the end of the finish. He's in agony. He's striving to finish the race. Work hard. It kind of bothers me in ministry that pastors have a reputation for being lazy. The most common joke far and away that pastors hear is, how'd you get that one day a week job? And uh, it used to bother me, and so I drove myself crazy trying to prove to everybody that I could work hard. And now I think it's pretty cool to have a a one-day-a-week job. And I always just say, it took me a long time to get this job, and I'm not getting rid of it. The Apostle Paul says that Timothy is to strive, he is to agonize, he is to toil, he is to work to the point of weariness and exhaustion. Listen, spiritual leadership and shepherding the flock should result in exhaustion. If you ever are responsible to help identify God's will for who's your pastor, make sure he's a hard worker. Don't hire a lazy old dog. There's too much work to be done. And furthermore, notice what Paul's motivation is. For to this end we toil and strive because we have this hope in God... And it's a little bit hard to interpret exactly what he means. Who is the Savior of all men? We know from other passages of Scripture and teaching of our soteriology that that does not mean that all people everywhere will be saved and there's no such thing as an eternal damnation or consequence to sin ultimately. But I think it at least at some level means that the work of Christ in His atonement was certainly sufficient for the Sin of of the world, and there is only one way, one truth, one life, and it is Jesus, and it is the same for all people of all time, everywhere, of all cultures. He is the Savior of the world, but isn't He especially your Savior today? Especially those who believe. Do you remember that? Do you remember what you were, and then the day that it all came together? When you recognize that you were indeed a dirty, rotten sinner and that a holy God could not look at you? Do you remember being sick of your sin? Do you remember having an overwhelming fear of God and knowing that if I died today, it's over for me and I am in the pit? If you haven't had that experience, I hope today's your day and that you recognize that the Bible's true and that you don't have to... Do much research. All you have to do is look in the mirror to know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible goes on to say that the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the Savior of the world, and especially if you believe today, He'll be your Savior. And you come to the cross, and you lay down your sin in faith, believing that the righteousness of Christ is yours. And... uh, Heavenly Father forgives you. Jesus is your Savior. He died for you. He carried your sin to the cross. He paid the penalty. He became the propitiation for your sin, the satisfaction. The wrath of God is held back. The demands of a righteous, holy God are met in Christ. And you can have what He has credited to your account by faith, admitting your sinfulness, and by faith receiving the free gift of salvation. If you have not come to the cross like that, my friend, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. You need to be saved. You need to not go another day walking on a tightrope, 
Thinking maybe it's not going to turn out the way the Bible says. Maybe this, maybe that. Making up your own theology. Deciding that you know more about what God thinks than what the Bible tells us about God thinks. People do that all the time. Drives me crazy. Well, I think that... Well, where'd you get that? Well, I, I just think it. My friend, God's word is clear. And you need a savior from your sin. Today's the day. Look to Jesus. Believe that he died on the cross for your sin. He was buried. He rose again. Believe that in your heart by faith you will be saved. Become a new creation in Christ. Amen. Especially to those who believe. Especially to those who get it. Have gotten it. God has opened your eyes. Your heart's become tender to the gospel. First thing we want to look for in a pastor is that he's growing in godliness. He's training for godliness. Second thing is that he works hard. He's toiling and he's striving. And his motivation for his labor is the gospel and that God is our heavenly father. People always wonder what pastors do. And so I just sat here and wrote on my paper because it is hard to explain what pastors do sometimes. And sometimes, and I really worry about this because in my leadership Reading, when I've read about leadership, they say that if you can't tell what you've been doing, you're probably not doing the right stuff. And sometimes, do you know that feeling of, what in the world did I do today? And the day's already over? And I sometimes describe the ministry as this huge gob of jello. And we're trying to fence it in, like with a swimming pool side. And we're over here, and we're, we get it all pushed in, and then we look up, and it's squirting out over there. So we go running over there, and we push it back in, and oh, it's squirting out. And that's what we do. That's what your pastors do. They run all over just trying to get the gob of jello put back. <laughs> From Thursday afternoon until tomorrow morning, here's just a little bit, or not a little bit, but here is what quickly came. I didn't have to think. It just came to my mind. Starting Thursday afternoon... This week, until Monday morning, four people are in the hospital or have been in that window of time, some of them with major issues and need attention and ministry. I got a phone call from a young wife and her husband, already en route, Charleston and Kelly, bawling out loud on speakerphone, and I ministered to them over the phone and prayed with them, and they were precious. We talked about his father. Pastor, my dad died in the backyard. Pray for my mom, Gloria. Got another phone call from a young wife, sat down in the garage and talked to him. Her husband's been messing up big time. and He's in major trouble now. What do we do with that? Got a phone call from another couple who had, uh, that was the unexpected death. Got a phone call from another young wife who was in tears because her marriage is in a shambles and she doesn't know what to do. Pastor, will you please call him? Please call him. I don't know what to do. Here's what's happening. Blah, 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 blah. Sin. Had a counseling session with another guy for about an hour and a half this weekend who's in a huge crisis of faith. And and it's an intellectual, just crazy off the edge. What do I do with that guy? Multiple emails and phone calls in this four-day window from individuals seeking guidance about major decisions in their life. Pastor, we have this going on, would you? And I'm behind in my email and I'm stressed out. I've got to write them back. A planning meeting to develop our Christian education ministries in Bakerton, making sure they're ready to go over there. Always trying to be ready to study and to preach and ready to grow and ready to have my preaching. Two phone calls from two different churches this weekend. Pastor, will you come and speak at our church? No, I won't come speak at your church. (laughs) Well, actually, I might want to. It's not to be their pastor to go speak. 
I've already mentioned neglected multiple emails, individuals who need visited for encouragement, phone calls for people who have dropped off the planet and I haven't seen them in church forever and they think their pastor doesn't care. And then I lock my keys in my truck. And then I go home and my wife says, how come you don't pay any attention to us? What does a pastor do? I don't know what a pastor does. He just pushes the jello in and he keeps at it. But listen, because of who God is and because of this great gospel, there's nothing wrong with working hard in the ministry and you better have a pastor who works hard. Shame on the pastor who doesn't believe in the gospel to the point that he would toil and strive for the gospel. Go park your car in the parking lot at Sheets at 5 o'clock some morning. Starting at 4.30 in the morning, guys with van trucks and ladders all over and spackle and paint down their front and some other guy with alligator shoes and a nice suit. They're striving. They're up at 5 o'clock in the morning. They're getting their coffee and their donut, heading off to strive all day at, at the point of utter exhaustion. And the pastor's home in bed sleeping? And you're responsible for the flock and you're responsible for the gospel? Let's work, right? Let's work. Third thing he says... Back to 1 Timothy 4. He says, We toil and we strive because of our hope in the living God. He's our Savior, especially to those who believe. Do this then, verse 11, Command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. What's he talking about? What things? Everything he's been telling them in the first three chapters. We have one mediator between God and man. Remember that verse? Command and teach these things. Don't deny yourself good gifts that God gives you thinking that's godliness. Command and teach these things. Everything that he's covered in chapters 1 through 3, he says to Timothy, command. Number 3 is teach with conviction. Look what he says, the word that he uses in verse 11. He says, teach these things, but he says, command these things. You know what that means? It means to order or to call to obedience by one who's in authority. Think of yourself as being in the military and the one who calls you to authority, he doesn't make a suggestion. We ought to line up, guys. Guys, come on. Come on, guys. Let's please... No, what does he do? He commands and he instructs. Now, the pastor is not to be a bulldog. The pastor is not to lord it over. We know that clearly. The pastor is to lead with love, but the pastor is not supposed to just sit around and make suggestions. He is to command and teach. He is to preach with conviction. He's to preach with conviction. And if it's true, isn't it worth preaching? You better have a preacher who preaches and teaches with conviction. Number four, we also need a pastor who will lead by example. He will lead by example. Look at verse 12. Timothy, and this is where we get part of the idea that he's a little bit insecure. And there's other verses that point to the fact that Timothy was a little bit shaken by this appointment from Paul. And he had to go in and announce to the congregation, I'm now your new pastor. He's maybe 30 years old. He's got some experience. He's definitely had the elders lay hands on him. He's had a calling. He knows he's supposed to be in ministry. But it's a fearful thing to go in and have to shepherd the flock, straighten it out, and preach and lead with conviction. He says, Timothy, let no one despise you, or the idea is to look down upon you because you're young. Don't be, have an inferiority complex because of your youth. But rather... Set an example to the believers. Now, that's what we need in a pastor, isn't it? It's a scary thing. 
But we better have a pastor who's a good example to us in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Lead by example. Listen, spiritual authority is built on the foundation of godly integrity, is it not? Spiritual authority is based upon the foundation of a godly framework of spiritual integrity. Timothy's being criticized. Timothy's being pushed around maybe a little bit. Timothy's just struggling with his own self-image. Paul says, quit worrying about that and lead by example. The first thing he brings up is his speech. That makes sense because we know one thing. We know that the heart, the mouth reveals the heart, don't we? The mouth reveals the heart. The scary thing sometimes. Sometimes we will leave a gathering where I have even on an informal basis been speaking and we get in the car and my wife, who is so good about this and I've learned to take it with love much better than I used to, she will say, you should not have used those words. So what? She's got carried away flapping the jaws. You're the pastor and people are watching you. The way you talk matters. People don't want a pastor who just runs at the mouth. Do you know that the last, maybe for 10 years now, that one of the, one of the cutting edge things you can do if you're in cool ministry is to cuss from the pulpit. Do you know about that? I have listened online to guys with big churches. And they're using, unbelievable. What is that all about? You know, be example to your young men who are in the locker room at soccer practice or football practice. My pastor uses those kinds of words. Now, at a certain level, I have to be careful, too, because I use the S word, stupid, sometimes. And I know I get letters and notes. And little Johnny goes home, Pastor Van said stupid today. And some of you are washing out your little kids' mouths for stupid. But I'm talking about Proverbs 21.23. You know what it says? Proverbs 21.23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Guard your mouth. Guard your heart. Keep from calamity. How many pastors, how many of us have gotten in hot water because of inappropriate words? Timothy, people are watching, people are listening. What's on the inside is going to come out. Guard your speech. Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. What a little spark, what a great fire a little spark can start. My brothers, can salt water and fresh water pour out of the same fountain? Watch your words. A little word and it can light the world on fire. Next thing, not only guard your speech and be an example in your speech, but in your conduct, the pastor, listen, the pastor, and I fight with this, the pastor cannot simply imagine that he has lived out the truth when all he has done really is just preach the truth. And so you've got to live what you've been preaching. You cannot imagine yourself to have conquered the Christian life just because you have preached about the Christian life. And what good is a preacher who's not living the life when he gets up to preach the life? And it's duplicitous. You undermine your ministry. Timothy, lead with love, he said. Be an example of love. If you ever have a responsibility of appointing a pastor or calling a pastor or encouraging a pastor and you see that he's not loving... He's got huge issues. If he doesn't love people, 
You know, sometimes pastors say, well, I really love to preach and teach, but I really don't like the people. I don't like to be with people. <laughs> then get out of the ministry. Just get out of the ministry. It's like saying, I'm a shepherd and I have sheep. I mean, I hate my sheep. And that doesn't mean, we, you know, we all have those tipping points on a certain day. Do you ever walk into church, though, and your heart's just overwhelmed with love for the people on Sunday morning? That's how I feel. It's just sometimes even if you're flat and down a little bit, you come in and there's, man, it's great to see your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're encouraged. And I think as long as I love my flock, I can be the pastor of the flock. If you don't lead with love, then get out of the pulpit. Fourth thing he says is in faith. To be an example of faith to the people. This is, some commentaries think this is less likely uh, talking about saving faith, not so much an example of you're really, really saved because of your faith, but you live by faith. The idea there is that you're a model. Listen, if you can explain it, it's not faith, right? If you can explain it, it's not faith. And we are called to live the Christian life by faith. Of all people, the leadership level ought to be moving forward by faith and be a model of trust in God. How does he handle adversity? Is it by faith? I remember reading a series of articles by a pastor in California some years ago who was dying of cancer and he journaled for his congregation. It was, the, it was phenomenal. And he wrote to his congregation as over the course of the months he shriveled up and then he died and his congregation buried him. But he taught them about faith. He lived out his faith as he died of cancer. In adversity, with the storm coming, financial frameworks, difficulties. What do we do? Do we panic? Do we punch the wall? Do we go get drunk? No, we model by faith. I don't even drink. I don't know. That didn't, that didn't sound right to me when I said it. But you know what I meant. Faith in the promises of God. Faith to trust the Lord. His sufficiency in times of difficulty. A pastor should be a model of these things. And then purity. Purity is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? We've already spent a lot of time on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, where it says the elder or the pastor needs to be above reproach, Right? Is there anything that destroys the ministry of a pastor faster than being caught in sexual immorality, pornography, illicit behaviors? He's done. He's done and he damages the testimony of the gospel and he damages his church. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you lead by example with your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith and your purity of life. The next thing he goes on to say, look at verse 13. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? For one thing, he says, the public reading of Scripture. I've kind of worried about that verse, actually, in the past. And we read the Word almost every week publicly, but we don't always do congregational Scripture reading. And I sometimes take that to mean that we ought to all be reading the Word out loud. I think what he really means here is that there's no copies of the word. The people do not have a text in their hand. So when you gather as believers, make sure that it's a Bible-centered ministry and you ensure that by reading the word when you gather in your public meetings. Read the word. There's all kinds of things you can do in your meetings. 
But make sure you read the word. And then the second thing is exhort. What is that? Let the word be taught in such a way that it's corrective. It exhorts me. It tells me how to live. Don't do this. Do this. That's exhortation. I commend you for this. Let's guard against this. That's exhortation. And then teaching. This word in the Greek means this. And we can apply this to our teaching the word and how it fits. All kinds of things. But what is it? It's a Bible-centered ministry. The fifth thing that Paul is teaching him as a pastor is to preach the Word. I found it very interesting. And you, you have to know, even if you don't know anything about church world, you have to know that these are really trendy days of all kinds of things in ministry. And in my latest leadership journal, I was interested to find out that um, there's... Um, an article called Praise, Prayer, and a Pint. Beer and a Bump is the name of it. So what's happening in churches, and it's in multiple states, there's a concern about the drop in attendance. And so they're trying to figure out things that get people to come to church. And so one pastor says that by canceling Sunday morning services and having a midweek in the evening service and by lighting a fire on the front lawn and having serving s'mores, their attendance has really grown. Now, I don't know that that's wrong. It doesn't say in the Bible you can't serve s'mores on the front lawn of the church. And we were, I was really wanting to have some s'mores tonight out at back. And, but here's my thing. Is this guy like doubting the effectiveness of a Bible-based pulpit and ministry? I think that's what's going on. He's becoming very insecure with just read the word, exhort, and teach the word. That's what you're supposed to do. Paul didn't say, make sure you serve them good s'mores. And then these other guys are deciding that if people aren't going to come to their church, then they're having Bible studies in the bar. I'm not sure that's all bad. Um, You know me, I choke pretty big on... Uh, Not literally, but I have a problem with people drinking in Christian community, the acceptance level of drinking. I think it's a huge issue in the Christian community. But these guys are, this guy, um, this one pastor, he said, there really isn't a focus on drinking. We drink, but there's not a focus on it, says this one pastor who organized a weekly gathering at Uncle Charlie's in Cheyenne, Wyoming. As many as 45 show up for beer and a Bible, Bible and a beer. All right. Praise God if people are being saved, and I don't doubt that God is using it, but here's my point. I think that pastors across our country are really insecure about just presenting the Bible. Here it is. Here's the Bible. Here it is. Preach the Word. Preach the Word, Timothy. Teach with conviction. Lead by example. Preach the word. I don't know if I've told you this story or not. Some years ago, I had a guy come to me from another church. And he took me out to eat. Took me to a pretty nice restaurant and he made me buy a steak. I I said, okay. And uh, he said, you're probably wondering why I brought you out to lunch. I said, yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know. I knew, I knew him some and so forth. And he said, uh, there's two things. He said, um, I'm not feeling too well and I think I'm going to die. And I brought you out to lunch today to, do, to ask you to do my funeral if I die. 
I said, well, you have a church and you have a pastor. He said, yeah, I know. He said, but two things. Number one, he said, my pastor doesn't know my name. And I would like whoever does my funeral to know my name. And the second thing is, I'm not sure that the pastor, in fact, I'm quite sure, and the reason I'm asking you is that my pastor will not preach the gospel at my funeral, and I want you to preach the gospel at my funeral, and I know you'll do that. What is that all about? It's a pastor who's become nervous about preaching the word. Read the word publicly, exhort, and teach. Let's move on quickly and wrap it up here. So we're not to let, he's to command and teach these things, he's to teach with authority. He's to let no one look down on his youth, verse 12. He's to devote himself to to the public reading of scripture, exhortation, teaching. And then verse 14, and do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy, Paul says, you know you were called to preach. You know you were called to, to minister effectively in the church. We laid hands on you. There was even a prophetic word over you. You were given this gift from God. Now use your gift. There's all kinds of things you can do. Use your gift. You want a pastor who keeps focused on the right things. That's something this pastor's working on. I was at a seminar one time, and the leader of the seminar drew a big picture uh, on the board, and it was like a funnel, and it had sides coming down and then a bottom spout, and across the top of the funnel, he put lots of X's, and as he put the X's across the top of the funnel, he talked about all the things that pastors can do. You can do all kinds of things. You can do all kinds of things. What is it, though, then he wants you to go down the funnel and think through, what is it that God called you to do? What is your calling? What is it you're supposed to do? What is it that you must do? You know that you're doing what God called you to do, number one, when it is the desire of your heart, you really will want to do it. And it's biblical. Number two, it energizes you, it does not drain you. Number three, people will respond to your use of your gift and God will use you. And number four, spiritual leaders around you will affirm you for it. Paul says to Timothy, Preach the word and let your gift go. My title for this one is work in your strength. You want a pastor who works out of his strength area. Work your strength. Work your strength. Number seven, stay focused. Stay focused, pastor. Look what he says. Practice these things and immerse, verse 15, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Don't be distracted by everything that comes along. Immerse yourself in the Bible work. Immerse yourself in the work of the ministry. Be there. Be saturated. That's a focused ministry. Be continually growing. Notice that. That wasn't really one of my points, but notice that he wants them to see him progressing. He wants the congregation to see that their pastor is growing. I think that's a very important thing for the congregation to be able to say, you know, our pastors, I've watched them grow. They're developing. You know, some days it's, you know, two steps forward and five steps back. But by God's grace, we're moving forward and growing and modeling growing in the Christian life. Be alert. Look at verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself. The first person the pastor is supposed to keep an eye on is himself. Did you see that? Keep a close watch on yourself and on then the teaching. Make sure, I think what he's saying there is, to be alert so that you don't become duplicitous so that you don't knock the bottom out of your ministry 
with your own fleshly weaknesses. We are all vulnerable to our own weaknesses. The Apostle Paul was always concerned about finishing well, wasn't he? And then finally he says, not only to be alert, verse 16, but don't give up. Keep a close watch on yourself, 16a, that's be alert, that close watch. And on your teaching, persist in this, persist. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This motivation in ministry is that the gospel changes lives. As the pastor persists, he doesn't give up. The word is persevere. Number nine, don't give up. There we are, Sabalski, number nine. Let me click them off to you. Number one, pastor, train for godliness. You want a pastor who's training for godliness. Number two, who works hard. Number three, who teaches with conviction. Number four, who leads by example. Number five, who preaches the word without apology. Number six, who works in his strength area. Number seven, who stays focused. Number eight, who is alert and pays attention to himself. Number nine, who doesn't give up and he perseveres. How do we apply this message other than someday you might be on a pulpit committee and you need to pull up the notes or listen to the message? Uh, What do we do for a pastor here? Well, I think one application of this message is for some of these young men out here. Number one, we need some of you guys to be qualified and to enter the ministry. And I hope that one thing that's happened today is that you've listened to the message And that you've thought to yourself, something on the inside of me that responds to the fact that I would long to be a spiritual leader. And you might not admit it to any of your buddies or to your mom and dad or to your youth pastor. But young man out there, is God speaking to you? Do you desire a role of spiritual leadership? If so, here's a few things to think about. Nine things right here. Particularly pick out verse 12 and make that your life verse. To not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but to be an example in speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Second thing I think we can get out of this as a congregation is that, certainly, number two, that effective spiritual leadership has to be based upon authentic godly character. Effective spiritual leadership must be based upon authentic godly character. I think that's a lot what Paul is saying to Timothy here. You've got to be the real deal. You're not in this for fun. It's not that fun, let me tell you. There's great joy and there's great privilege in the ministry, and particularly to be the lead pulpit pastor, there is great privilege, even above the servant pastors, the guys who are the staff pastors. But it's not that fun, and you had better have the right motives, and you had better recognize that, uh, that this is based on spiritual integrity, and so it's convicting. And the same thing applies to every Christian. Your authentic Christian life, the authenticity of your spirituality has everything to do with your spiritual integrity, what's going on on the inside. I think that's a lot of what Paul's dealing with here, with Timothy. Finally, I think that it's important for us to realize that our churches are too valuable and the gospel is too important to allow unqualified shepherds to be in our pulpits. It doesn't take too much research to look around 
outside in the area. And I don't say this with a spirit of haughtiness. I know as much as anyone and can fill up the longest list of what's wrong with this church and what needs corrected. We're not a perfect church. But I'm telling you, you don't have to go far and do very deep research to find out that unqualified pastors are killing our churches. And the gospel and our churches are too valuable. Why is this being allowed? Why is the word of God being overlooked? Why are our pulpits being filled with men who are embarrassed just to preach the word? Hey, I'm all about doing s'mores and having good times and playing soccer and whatever. But I'm not all about that at Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and 9 o'clock or whatever time it is we gather. I'm not about this church being known as the S'more Church. I'm not all about this church being known as, uh, you know, beer and Bible time. How about just Bible, Bible, Bible? Fellowship, say it with me. We are Fellowship Bible Church. Father, would you please um, instruct us as you see fit and help us to know how to apply the word. Thank you for Paul's careful instruction to Timothy, and as we root around with it and as we investigate it and try to break it down and and make it apply to our lives, Father, it is so valuable to us. Father, would you work in the hearts of some of our young men and raise them up to be Timothys, raise them up to be men of the word, put your hand upon them, call them, call them out, help them to start having a a burden and a, and a mindset and, and maybe just a still small voice that they begin to listen to and they begin to grow spiritually. And may you raise up young men for the ministry from Fellowship Bible Church. And Father, would you help all of us to build our lives and our ministries, whatever they are, teaching Sunday school, leading Olympians, driving the bus, whatever it is, may our spiritual ministries, reaching out to our neighborhood, visiting in a nursing home, may it always be built on spiritual integrity and authentic Christianity, that we would be for real. And Father, would you protect the pulpit of this church? And would you remove any man at any time who's not worthy of the walk? Thank you for your grace with which you cover us. And thank you that you use weak people But Father, just help us to be humble. Help us to be Bible-centered, Christ-centered, and unashamed of your word. And may we see it do its work. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.